0: you Welcome to A Slice of Medieval, and today we are going to discuss William Rufus. Now, both Sharon and I have been looking at William Rufus with a view to trying to sort out what on earth we actually know about this king and what we don't. And what I found is that everything I looked at told me he was either this or he was that. And it seemed that no matter what topic I was looking into... It was always an either or. There seems to be so much doubt about what this king was like, what he did, that we have very little to go on. So that's our that's our theme for today, to try and make some sense of the reign of William Rufus. So, first of all, for the benefit of those who have no idea who William Rufus was, who was he? Well, he was the third son of William the Conqueror, and uh, he came to the throne in September 1087 and ruled till the year 1100 and he's called rufus for a variety of reasons either because he had red hair uh, which we have absolutely no evidence for at all or because he was rather red-faced ruddy-faced and therefore he also perhaps was given the name rufus again we haven't got a great deal of evidence either way now i've said that to demonstrate what i'm talking about when i say he's either or there there are so many things we don't know so sharon what was rufus like in relation to his brothers because william the conqueror chose his one of his younger sons to succeed him in england which seems a bit old in a way to us what was he what were the relationships with his brothers like the
1: thing is, the reason Rufus was chosen to rule England was he was William the Conqueror's favourite son. And if William the Conqueror could have disinherited his eldest son, Robert of Normandy, he would have done. He wanted Rufus to get England and Normandy. But when he invaded England in 1066, he'd let Robert, who was a teenager at the time, in charge of Normandy. And he'd made his barons in Normandy swear fealty to Robert as the heir. And they wouldn't let William go back on that later on. So Robert got Normandy just because he'd already been sworn in as the heir to Normandy. But if he could if the conqueror could have given it to William, he would have done.
0: So Robert got Normandy by default, in a way.
1: Yeah, so William got the greater prize, some saw it as the greater prize, not everyone, of England. Because William didn't have to leave England to Robert. So he left it to to William II instead of leaving it to Robert. It was a bit of a snub. It was more a snub to Robert than anything. You know, it was like, no, I don't have to leave you this kingdom, so... You're not getting it.
0: <laughs> but presumably he, he did that because he thought William would be better able to keep hold of, of England.
1: Well, William had been a loyal son as well. Robert hadn't. Robert had rebelled against his father. In fact, the only thing keeping Robert and William from tearing each other apart had been Matilda, um William the Conqueror's wife.
0: I thought you were going to say the English Channel.
1: When she died, they, it, or you know, it was they just stopped talking to each other they absolutely hated each other he nearly kill robert had nearly killed william the conqueror in one battle it just <laughs> William had just got away in time. So it wasn't a great father-son relationship. Whereas William and William, his his other son, had had a good relationship. So he left him the prize, England.
0: I guess compared to Robert, any relationship would be better. But maybe they they personally were just more alike. I don't know.
1: And Robert had a reputation. He was a good soldier. Nobody's ever denied that Robert wasn't a good soldier. But He wasn't a good administrator. He was always in need of money. His mum, Matilda, used to secretly send him money. through an intermediary. And when William the Conqueror found out, he went ballistic. It's the biggest row him and Matilda ever had. (laughs) And um, he even threatened to execute the intermediary uh, because of it. So he didn't like Robert at all. And Henry I, when he came to the throne, he actually offered to Robert that Robert could keep the title of Duke of Normandy, but Henry would do the administration. (laughs) because he seemed to think that Robert liked being duke more than he liked actually acting as a duke.
0: Yeah, shortly after William II became king in 1088, there was a revolt, wasn't there, on behalf of Robert, but very much engineered by the conqueror's half brother, Odo of Bayer.
1: Yeah, Odo and his other brother, his other half brother, Robert of Mortain, I think it was. But some of the chronicles say that it was Odo who organized it, but others have Robert of Normandy being involved as well. And he certainly was preparing to invade England.
0: But he didn't, did he? No. He didn't get here. And it's been suggested by some historians that the the fact that he didn't get here gave William the opportunity to to defeat the, the rebels, the Norman barons, were a bit conflicted because of the fact that they had lands in Normandy as well as England. So they they were having to swear fealty to, to the King of England on the one hand for their lands in England and yes. the Duke of Normandy on the other hand for their lands in Normandy. So for them, life was complicated and the revolt perhaps was attractive to some of them because it would make that problem go away with one ruler of both places.
1: Yeah, um, it was complicated for them because in those days, if you had land in a country, you had to swear fealty to that ruler. And that meant that you had to be prepared to go to war against his enemies. So if you had to swear fealty to Robert in Normandy for your Normandy lands and to William in England for your English lands, and they go to war, whose side do you fight on? You're supposed to send troops to your lord.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean it means they've got to choose, and in a way, they're not—they're not able to choose in a sense, are they? Really, they're not supposed to choose.
1: No, I mean some hedge their bet. Yeah, some had—you um, know—if they were brothers, you look after the Norman lands, I look after the english lands and then when it's all resolved we'll stay together and put the lands back together
0: (laughs) yeah i think later on william went to normandy and defeated robert there didn't he
1: yeah he did it was
0: 1091 or something around that time
1: 1091 he was he sent he went in to literally to punish robert Hmm. And Robert um, called on the King of France to help him, and he did initially, but then him and William had a chat, and he went went away, probably with a lot of money in his pockets, (laughs) and left Robert to it.
0: (laughs) William's a bit of a gangster, really, isn't he? I could just imagine him, him saying to the King of France, look, just do as you're told and you won't end up in a sort of concrete overcoat in the Seine. <laughs> he's a he's a bit he's a bit brutal, isn't he, really?
1: He is. I mean there was somebody who rebelled against him and he didn't just blind the bloke. He Oh, what was the quote? It was hilarious. Well, not hilarious for the bloke, it
0: happened. <laughs> this is William, William of William of ooh, is it? EU? Yeah,
1: he rendered him useless in every way or something like that. <laughs> I think that means he was
0: castrated.
1: Yes, that's what I got from it. Poor chap.
0: William is a difficult king to like, I mm. think. And I'm I'm thinking that maybe his subjects had a very similar view. He wasn't very likable. No. But then which of these kings was? You know, William the Conqueror wasn't exactly very, very uh, fluffy. So if you use a word we've used on the podcast before. So you can only judge him, I suppose, by by what he did, yeah. rather than what everyone said about him, or, or as far as we can judge what he did. I was interested to to learn that. In 1096, when Robert went on the First Crusade, he more or less mortgaged Normandy mm-hmm. to William to raise money for, to, to go on crusade, which obviously was very expensive. And I guess in terms of his other brother, Henry, a bit of an opportunist, really, I suppose. He's just at court, isn't he?
1: Yeah, we have instances throughout William II's reign where Henry is siding with one brother or the other. Yeah, There was an instance in Rouen, that I wrote about in the Warren book, where Henry was holding Rouen. He'd gone there to hold it for William, but then he decided he was on Robert's side. (laughs) And this chap called Conan, who was one of the burghers in Rouen, had agreed to open the gates for William's forces. And William's forces came in through the gates, and Henry's forces attacked William's forces, and Robert legged it, literally. (laughs) You have him riding away, escaping through the gate, over the river and finding sanctuary in an abbey or something.
0: (laughs) I think it's reasonable to say, uh, and also reasonable for him to be, for Henry to be, an opportunist, someone who is looking to, to gain some advantage from... The differences between his two older brothers that that's not exactly an uncommon position for a brother to be no. in is it is it really so i mean i think it doesn't make henry a villain necessarily because they're, they're all in it for what they can what they can get
1: yeah
0: um he's no better or worse than than his brothers i don't think
1: and his brothers i mean robert and william there's the odo's insurrection in England That Robert supposedly supported So William goes over to Normandy To punish Robert And Robert gets a little punished And then they come to an agreement mm. Next thing you know They're both coming to England To fight Scotland <laughs> Malcolm III invades England Actually he invaded Lothian Which I didn't realise Had ever been part of England But he invaded Lothian And William, Rufus and Robert Came over to England To see him off
0: I think the, the thing about the- the northern border—it it was pretty fluid, yeah—in in the eleventh uh, and twelfth centuries, wasn't it? Really, mm. William Rufus did did actually do quite a lot to to firm it up a bit, didn't he?
1: He did, yeah. He built Carlisle Castle in Cumbria, yeah. And Robert of Northumberland—I um I think it was just Robert de Mowbray.
0: Robert de Mowbray, yeah.
1: He was the one who. Fought and killed Malcolm the Third at Annick, but then he rebelled yes. against William Rufus later. But
0: he was slapped down, wasn't he? I mean, Rufus was pretty. Rufus was pretty good at dealing with with insurrections.
1: His punishment was, if I remember right, imprisonment rather than any kind of mutilation.
0: But he got off lightly, then, didn't he?
1: <laughs> he must have been sat in that dungeon, going, "Oh, I am so lucky." <laughs>
0: But, but perhaps also William realised that actually this, this guy had done pretty good service yes. in the north, because he had, uh, because the, the death of Malcolm third at, at Annick mm. and his son Effectively changed the the line of the Scottish succession a bit.
1: Yeah, and it changed the dynamic between England and Scotland. Yeah, because it was a disputed succession. Malcolm's brother took the throne. Two of Malcolm's sons were actually in Rufus's custody as hostages at the time, so he sent them north to claim the throne. Yeah, which meant that Scotland was in a bit of a dis- of disarray, and Rufus was the one choosing who would be king.
0: Yeah. And by the end of it, by about ten ninety-seven thereabouts, the Scottish king was acknowledging William as as his sort of lord or mm-hmm. superior, I suppose. So William Rupus in that respect, I mean that was a success in political and military terms, with the borders with, with Scotland. Yep. With, with Wales, he, he made a couple of incursions, I think, around about that time in 1097. But basically, he just built a few castles, I think.
1: He did get a Welsh prince to acknowledge him.
0: Certainly with a few more castles in the marches, th- there was a better defensive shield for England. But we're a long way away from what happened, say, in Edward I's reign much later on. You know, this is a different ball game altogether. I mean, Wales and Scotland are independent. But if the English king can get their kings to either do homage or in some way indicate that he, he's their overlord, then then that's probably as much as any English king at that point, any Norman king, could hope to do.
1: Yeah. And as we know, at the time, Wales wasn't a unified country. It was independent princes. And every time a prince had a couple of sons, the principalities got smaller and smaller every time because they had equal (laughs) inheritance rather than primogeniture. Yeah. But yeah, he tried to conquer Wales in 1094, but was repulsed and then tried again, regained ground in 1098 and established the castles. So he probably is the one who established the marcher castles that everybody knows on that Welsh border.
0: Yeah, I mean, again, we always, if we think about Wales, we think about Edward First. we don't think really about much about any of the previous kings. But There were still relationships between England and Wales throughout that period. It was just a different relationship. Mm. Um, They weren't trying to actually conquer Wales. They were trying to manage the border, which is a whole different thing. One of the areas where William Rufus came unstuck a bit is in his relations with the church, which, shall we say, in summary, did not go well. (laughs)
1: It didn't.
0: But I think what we need to understand about this period is that if you're a churchman, you you have two roles in England. You have you have the role of a cleric, of a clergyman, and you have the role of a landowner from the king,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: maybe an office holder of some sort, and maybe an advisor to the king. So it's not a straightforward case of you are a religious person, a holy person, as it were who has moral objections to something your king might do it's 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 more political than that isn't it
1: with the Clergy, they didn't believe that they were subject to English laws as well. You know, they were subject to the Pope. William wasn't their master, which would also cause problems. And William tried to bring the church in line with English laws. But of course, the church doesn't like that because they like to be independent. Of course, the, it's the church who have the monks, who have the chroniclers, who write down the stories. So William has had a bad press from the very beginning because the church write the press.
0: <laughs> yeah, the version of the truth that appears is the version written down by those in the in the, that reign or the next reign or whenever. But it, it's certainly a, a view which is slightly warped by yes. their experience with William. And William doesn't help things because when Archbishop Lanfranc dies shortly after he becomes king, he decides not to appoint a successor immediately, which is a little bit odd. But uh he does decide to collect church revenues yeah. owing to the archbishop and others in in the meantime. And he only actually appoints a successor when he falls dangerously ill and presumably panics.
1: Yeah, thinks he's going to die and thinks, he, oh, I'd better appoint a successor.
0: <laughs> yes, <laughs> Now, the other thing that amused me a little bit is that the successor he appoints, Anselm, is actually a cracking choice. Mm -hmm. He's the ideal man for the job. He's very well respected as a churchman. The only slight, tiny little problem is that William can't stand him. (laughs) And... And they do not get on about anything, really.
1: I remember reading, actually, that um, Adela, William Rufus's sister, who's married to Stephen of Blois. I'll pronounce Blois to save my life.
0: We've been we've been there with Blois. Yeah.
1: <laughs> she used to play an intermediary between Rufus and Anselm, and between Anselm and Henry the I as well, trying to get them to work things out. And it was thanks to Adela that he did finally go back to England during Henry First right? reign.
0: Yeah, because he was—he ended up in exile, didn't he? Uh, from I don't know, from about ten ninety six seven, something like that.
1: He did. They had a difference of opinion.
0: What amused me a little bit—I I mean, I'm constantly amused by William's reign because it, it, everything's kicking off. But Anselm goes to the Pope, Urban II, and obviously expects that the Pope is going to give him his. unquestioning support Mm. in his dispute with william and urban the second is quite a new pope i think and he doesn't feel politically that he can fall out with william rufus yeah because i think he's already fallen out with is it the holy roman emperor yeah
1: they're always falling out with the holy roman emperor
0: yeah but i mean it's again it's a political decision Mm. and an ansel must have thought oh this is going to sort things out the pope is my my authority And the Pope doesn't support him.
1: The problem is the Pope has also got um, a challenger, an anti-Pope named Clement III. So Urban wants Rufus's support in fighting off this Clement III. So he needs Rufus on side, England on side, probably more than he needs Anselm, who at the minute hasn't got a lot of power because he's not in his archbishopric. No. So, yeah, he's trying to keep Anselm on side, but not upset Rufus because he needs Rufus's support to get rid of this antipope. And Rufus would not back either Urban or Clement. He did eventually decide on Urban, but he had a condition. Rufus would only give his support if Urban agreed that papal legates could not enter England without sound permission. And that's
0: what upset Anselm so much. It's a good example of how entwined politics and religion were, because it's not just the Pope whose hands are tied a bit. I mean, everybody, the Pope, the clergy in England, when Anselm was made archbishop, would be saying, great appointment, good idea. When he fell out with the king, the clergy in England, In a way, like Urban, their hands were not free. They they had to support the king. They couldn't be seen to openly support Anselm because they relied upon the king for their income Mm -hmm. and their their sort of place in society.
1: I did come across one incident. If it's true, it was um, the Abbey of St Augustine's at Canterbury. Their abbot died and the two candidates went to William with a third monk, but these two were the ones who wanted to be abbot, and William had to decide between them. They each basically tried to bri- bribe Rufus to give them the abbacy. And Rufus heard what they offered and then said to the third monk, What do you offer? And he said, Oh, well, I'm just here to bring back the man who's going to be abbot and announce it to the people. And the, the king said, So you're not offering me anything? He said, No. So the king made him abbot. <laughs>
0: And where did the story come from?
1: That's from the Warren Chronicle again, the Hyde Chronicle. So it's the one that's most favourable to Rufus because he made... um... William de Warren, Earl of Surrey. So they do like him a little bit more than most.
0: The trouble is that everything we know about William Rufus's reign, and whilst this is true of lots of reigns, everything we know about his reign is us drawing a conclusion based on a single fragment mm. of possibly biased information. Yeah. I mean, it's so slender. There's really nothing much. There's not much of a foundation to base, you know, clear conclusions on about about William. And the, the, the thing with the church is, whilst it may may seem quite extreme, the archbishop in exile and so on, it's not that unusual for the time period we're talking about. And, you know, we only have to mention Thomas Beckett in uh, Henry II's reign mm-hmm. for everyone to, to, to accept that there were political issues between church and state throughout this whole period yeah
1: more often than not definitely yes because um stephen langton in king john's reign he was exiled as well so
0: well i guess it's symbolic though in a sense isn't it if you get rid of the head the head cleric uh then or or if the head cleric decides to go of his own volition it's a it's an indication that things have got to a a state that's worse than usual yes perhaps so that that's a reasonable conclusion I suppose. So one of the vexed questions about about William, one of the many vexed questions about William Rufus is, was he homosexual? And I can tell everyone now, I've no idea.
1: I have no idea, but nothing in what I've read in the Chronicles suggests he was. No. It seems to come from the fact he's not married he never married.
0: Well, I mean, Frank Barlow, the historian Frank Barlow, suggests that um, he, he may have been bisexual. Now, it sounds like a bit of a cop-out to me, really, <laughs> just trying to explain everything, mm. because there were contemporary complaints about William's court, I think, yeah. that it was very ostentatious and very lavish in lots of respects. and And for, I guess, your average cleric chronicler, that was um, that was unnecessary. It was mm. seen as too lavish, and so on. So there are complaints of that sort, but not really, as you say, not not contemporary complaints about sexual practices.
1: No, and there is a suggestion that he had an illegitimate son.
0: Really, where did that? Where have you got that from?
1: That was a secondary book that mentioned it. It said they'd read a rumor that he had an illegitimate
0: son. <laughs> was it on a cornflake packet? Um, I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I, I read that um, that it's suggested that his friend and advisor Ranulf Flambard, Bishop of Durham, mm. could have been a sexual partner, and the the reasoning behind this is that they spent a lot of time together. And I'm thinking, well, using that as evidence could totally change the entire yes. history of the world. If we're saying every every two blokes that spent a lot of time together were homosexual, that rather changes the dynamic a bit. Yeah,
1: so Edward IV and Hastings. Yeah,
0: absolutely. <laughs> Best buddies. They were clearly homosexual. So, I mean, this is the thing. Yeah. This is the thing where if you're not careful, it's easy to be persuaded by the lack of evidence, yeah. by rumour and hearsay. I mean, the, the Welsh Chronicles have some suggestions that, that he had a lot of mistresses and and that's why he didn't marry. And Mm. I mean, as far as I'm aware, there's no actual evidence that he had any children, legitimate or otherwise. No. The only thing, I guess, the the puzzle is why didn't he marry?
1: Yeah, someone made a point. I can't remember which book it was in, Uh, because this was a while ago when I was doing a different topic. Not one of William the Conqueror's and Matilda's children, sons, married while their mother was alive. So Henry didn't marry until he was king. Robert Courtois didn't marry until William Rufus's reign. So there is a suggestion that maybe their mother was so controlling (laughs) or they couldn't find a woman as perfect as their mother, so they didn't marry.
0: Well, that opens a real can of worms, that does.
1: But it was just a point that was made that not one of them married whilst their mother was alive. Their parents didn't arrange marriages for them in a time when usually it was arranged between parents that their children would marry. Not one of them had a marriage arranged. That is odd, isn't it? While their mum and dad were still alive. And they weren't children.
0: But I mean, he was what? He was 43, 44 when he died somewhere around about there. So to be honest, if he was going to marry as king, if he was going to marry, he would have married by then. Mm. Uh, I don't think he was waiting to marry someone. I think he just he just wasn't going to marry him. He must have been urged to marry yeah. hundreds of times during his reign, because that was one of the key <laughs> things that all advisers would be saying to him. You need to get a wife. You need to get a child, an heir to the throne. And, and yet. He didn't seem bothered about it.
1: Yeah, which is strange, because how did he settle the succession? Did he just assume Henry would succeed
0: him? One part of me wonders whether he decided that Henry... M- maybe nothing was said, but but perhaps he decided he really couldn't be bothered with all that marriage lark, so uh, he just let Henry... Henry was younger than him, he'd let Henry succeed.
1: Or oh, Robert. Yeah. Rufus and Robert had made an agreement at one stage, I think it was around 1095 where whichever brother survived the other would get everything. But what would happen if Robert died first and he got everything, then where does it go?
0: Yeah, it, it, it's a mess, really.
1: He had no consideration for the succession. Is really odd.
0: It is odd. It's very unusual when you think the lengths that uh, his brother Henry went to mm. to try and secure the succession <laughs> miserably failed.
1: Yeah, it was obviously a consideration even then. So it's not like it was something they didn't think about in those days.
0: Frank Barlow described him he was a devil may care soldier no social graces or piety it does sort of sound as if he lived in the moment as if more or less this is what i am this is what i'm doing Mm. if it doesn't work out who cares yeah for me anyone who's familiar with game of thrones this is robert baratheon this is this is king robert baratheon who who just sort of is there He's larger than life. He does what he wants to do and he's very effective as a soldier and a general. Mm-hmm. But if it doesn't work out, well, tough, you know, he's not he's not bothered. And I just just get the impression that if William cared at all about what happened after he died, he would have married, even if he was homosexual. You know, he wouldn't be the first homosexual king to take a wife and provide an heir. Yeah. So, you know, it's not, it, it's not even related to that necessarily. It's, it's just that if it was important to him, he would have done something about it, surely. Mm-hmm. It wasn't as if he was killed young and didn't have time to marry. So, I think the, the 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 obvious conclusion is that he really wasn't bothered. Yeah, he didn't care particularly. No, and he knew that he had two brothers and they'd sort it out. Mm. He wasn't bothered about what happened after he died. That in itself, of course, is something that that is true of a certain number of people that. If they do live in the moment, after they're gone, they simply don't care about what happened because they're not there. No. So since they're the most important person in their life, if they're not there, it doesn't matter. He's a very unusual king. It's a very unusual reign in some respects. Mm -hmm. And, of course, it has a very unusual end as well, which have been much debated.
1: (laughs) Good segue. It has a very strange end that is still debated and nobody knows exactly whether or not it was just an accident or murder. Yeah. (laughs) Basically, if I I was a Norman, I just would not go hunting in the New Forest.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Dangerous place.
1: (laughs) For anyone who doesn't know, William Rufus was killed by an arrow while hunting in the New Forest. His baby brother Henry was with him at the time as well. Um, but it was he wasn't the first. His older brother, who is all but forgotten, um, I think his name was Richard, yeah. who was younger than Robert but older than Rufus, was also killed in the New Forest as a teenager. He was thirteen or fourteen at the time, whilst out hunting. And one of Henry the first illegitimate sons was killed in the New Forest while out hunting. So I'd stay clear of the new forest. You know, I'd go. You know, let's
0: try <laughs> Yeah, what it what it does suggest those those three incidents really tend to suggest that uh, hunting was jolly dangerous yeah. and that accidents did happen.
1: And it wasn't a surprise if somebody did get killed hunting. Yeah,
0: yeah. If you play with bows and arrows.
1: And I suppose that's why it's the perfect murder, because nobody can work out whether it was deliberate or an accident.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, there there are so many different ways the story can be twisted around. One is that the unfortunate person who fired the arrow or shot the arrow by accident it bounced off a tree and i'm thinking well yeah that that's a good story but how often d- is that likely to happen that it bounces off a tree yeah. and hits someone i mean i guess it could bounce off a tree
1: but wouldn't that take the momentum away from it
0: yeah exactly yeah you know i just find that a little bit uh, that that sounds to me like a construct by mm. some chronicler monk trying to weave a good story as they often did basically the jury is still out on whether he was deliberately killed or accidentally killed. And it's 900 years later. And the jury is likely to be out for another 900 years yeah. because we'll never know.
1: But we did not know. I mean, everything else we know who shot the arrow his name was walter tyrrell
0: do we know that for a fact because that was that came later didn't it his name came later do we even know that for an absolute certainty
1: i don't know because i've always thought it funny that the name of the bloke who killed william the Rufus was the same name as the bloke who supposedly killed the princes in the tower
0: (laughs) it's a popular name (laughs) They've just been a family of assassins throughout history. Family of fall guys. If you're stuck and you need to blame someone, use the name Tyrrell, and everybody will think, oh, yeah, them again. Yeah, there's no hard evidence. Obviously, but from the church point of view, this was divine retribution. This was the hand of God yeah. striking down this this king who had not been a, a friend of the church. Mm. So from, from that point of view, it's not that surprising to the church.
1: No. And then you get that quo bono, who benefits? Yeah. Well, Henry I benefits massively. And he I don't even know if he stopped to check that his brother was actually dead before he rode off to winchester secured the treasury and then rode off to london to be crowned at westminster a few days later timing wise you have to look at it like this was an opportunity for henry robert wasn't back from the crusades yet so if william rufus died at that point then henry was the only one who could claim england and by the time robert got back to Normandy it was a done deal so timing it definitely benefits Henry yeah and he did make the most of the opportunity but whether or not he'd engineered it is another matter
0: personally I I don't think he did engineer it I've got absolutely no evidence to base that on but I don't think he did I think what what is a a bit surprising to me though I guess it shouldn't be is that when the king was dead apparently everyone beetled off they left including Henry obviously who, who made a beeline for Winchester but Winchester wasn't that far away you know uh, if if no. the royal treasury had been in london then he would have gone to London, probably But that was a bit further away And he wouldn't have done it in a day uh, Whereas Winchester was, was certainly mm. doable I mean, they I think he was killed Somewhere around near Bewley Brockenhurst, that sort of part of uh, Hampshire. Incidentally, folks He wasn't killed where the Rufus Stone is. So if you've been to The Rufus Stone and you've told your children that This is where he was killed, I'm afraid You've been perpetrating a myth I've been there and uh, I told my children That as well. <laughs> But it's not true. So, yeah, but it was around, it was somewhere near, as far as anyone knows, it was somewhere near Brockenhurst or Newley. And it's not far Mm. from there to Winchester. So if you're Henry, maybe he thought rather similarly to uh, William that, uh, well, William's dead, so make the most of the opportunity. It's not as if Henry is going to say, oh, I wonder what's going to happen now. He must have thought of little else because William had no children. So it's not as if it's a big shock that Henry's going to succeed.
1: And Henry actually, um, when Henry died, before he died, he left instructions that his body was not to be left unattended until it was buried Mm. because he knew full well that everybody had left his father and everybody had left Rufus. Yeah. And he wasn't having that. He was going to be properly attended until he was buried.
0: (laughs) Again, as we as we've said repeatedly, the the evidence is slight. There is no conclusive evidence either way. So I'm always disappointed if I see in what I'd regard as reputable publication somebody making a statement like he was probably killed, or or it was probably an accident. Neither of those statements is actually true because we don't know. It could have been either. There's no probably involved at all. No. There's no. It was more likely. Be one than another, we just don't know. We haven't, haven't got the evidence, so there's no question Henry benefited and he acted quickly. But I can't, can't actually see that necessarily that means that it was a plot.
1: You no, know, we're talking about regicide. We're not to, and fratricide.
0: I mean, he he was a
1: bit of a philanderer, but I can't remember him having any major bust-ups.
0: A bit of a philanderer who had about half a million illegitimate children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, a bit of a philanderer, I think, is a reasonable. <laughs> reasonable guess.
1: Yeah, but he got on with the church. So the idea that he'd kill a king and his brother.
0: I, I think it's unlikely because surely there would have been occasions before when he could have engineered something if he'd wanted to. There must have been times when William was vulnerable. Yeah, okay, hunting in the new forest is clearly more vulnerable than in some other places. But, you know, I i just think it's its too convenient almost to say it was a plot. It, it sort of Mm. It's joining dots which aren't necessarily able to be joined. Yeah. So what do we reckon about William Rufus overall? What do we think of him as as a king rather than as a human being?
1: There are those two sides. In one book, he's described as sadistic, homosexual, ruthless and an atheist. You can tell that that was the church when were had that. <laughs> And in others, it's like, well, yeah, he had a fiery temper, but he was a good soldier. He liked England and he tried to rule justly. But then again, I i mean, in other bits, it's like he promised the English that if they supported him fighting against Odo, that he'd um, get rid of all the injustices. He promised that, but he didn't do it once the fight was over. <laughs> he went back to normal. Is,
0: is there a king who didn't promise to get rid of all injustices? <laughs> Throughout the, the Middle Ages They always promised They'd get rid of injustices And very few kings ever did mm. Because it's pretty much impossible I mean, he did He maintained a stable kingdom, didn't he? He did and, and for a king That's a pretty important thing to do He secured his borders With Scotland and Wales And he also secured Normandy To, to help Robert at times For me, the big failure Is that he didn't have an heir yeah. In other respects I think he was he was quite successful The complaints tend to be personal rather than him as a king Mm. because as a king i don't think he did too bad a job william the conqueror was a pretty hard act to follow wasn't he yeah
1: he was and he hadn't had it easy either he faced down rebellions as
0: well so I mean, as a king, I think, apart from the fact that he didn't marry and get an heir, I think he was pretty successful. As a human being, well, again, you you pay your money and take your choice as to whether you believe chroniclers or or anything else. Mm. Was he fiery and angry and so on? Well, Henry II was, allegedly. So uh, it's not a reason to say he's a bad king, is it? It, You can be a bad person and be a very effective king. Yeah,
1: and being a nice person
0: usually makes you a bad king. So there (laughs) are... comparisons one could make, but again on the sort of flimsy evidence we have it, it's very difficult to do so with any sort of certainty.
1: He's one of the forgotten kings. I mean, he ruled for 13 years. He ruled longer than Henry V did, and yet the number of people who will have heard of William Rufus
0: Just about everybody ruled longer than Henry V did. Yeah, Except
1: Richard III who's even more famous
0: <laughs> The thing is, I, I think you're right that, I mean, William William is something of a forgotten king. We're obviously on a crusade to rest- restore the reputations of forgotten kings as we've done Edward with the elder henry the third and now now william rufus he's forgotten in a sense but everyone's well a lot of people have heard of william rufus it's the rufus bit yes. that makes him memorable at all mm. if you take that away and it's just william the nobody knows much about him at all but that word rufus is a connection and it's often the way in popular history that people, I mean, it comes from your school school days, doesn't it, really? Mm-hmm. That, you know, you hang on to these these sort of handholds. Oh, that's the king that did this. Alfred burnt the cakes and, you know, William yeah. Rufus had red hair and, and so on and so forth. You, or not. <laughs> or not. Or not. Exactly. That's my point. You, you, you have these handholds which are rarely based on fact. Yeah. Or if they are it's a it's a very slender collection of facts but but in the public psyche that's your that's your sort of folk memory of mm. this king uh, and aside from that you don't know anything about him really at all
1: yeah i think the most people know about him is how he died
0: <laughs> yeah yeah or or did, well he did die yes yeah. so, or or not not so much how he died but the fact that he died in a in the manner in which he died i suppose yeah. It's like Harold II, Second Godwinson. Everyone remembers <laughs> the arrow in the eye and forgets almost everything else. It, mm. I guess, this is human nature, isn't it? That you you you're drawn to these idiosyncratic ideas. Yeah, it makes things interesting in a sense, but it doesn't necessarily make them accurate.
1: No,
0: I've often I've often thought when I've been writing about the Wars of the Roses that there's a conflict of interest here somewhere that. But things which people are really hooked on, really interested in, are things which actually make their understanding of the period less effective, less accurate.
1: Yeah. I must say, if you just looked at Rufus, rather than people's opinions of him, just what he achieved, like you say, he studied the borders of Scotland and Wales. He went to war a couple of times with his brother in Normandy, but then his brother mortgaged normandy to him so it's obviously just brotherly spats between the three of them anyway it is like you say a hard act to follow william the conqueror and also 1066 you know who wants to think about 1087 to 1100 when you've got 1066 to talk about
0: and the other thing about following william the Conqueror, how often have we said that you get a strong king followed by a king who isn't who who can't almost be as effective as their father Mm. And therefore, they live in that shadow, and their reputation is is in that shadow as well. But I don't think William the Second was was like that. I think he actually did a very good job yeah. in in what he did, in the things he tried to do. Mm. No one's saying he's a, he's a sort of star, the best king ever. But but within the confines of what was possible and what he needed to do as king, I think he did a pretty good job.
1: Yeah. And you can look at it also with the clergy. He didn't back down from the clergy. (laughs) He didn't let them bully him. And maybe that's a good thing as well.
0: (laughs) Well, again, in the context of the time, I think it is. Mm. And again, as we've said before, if you look at the perspective of that whole period, it's not totally out of line with other kings. It's it's a, a, a kind of awkward relationship between church and state which had yet to be resolved.
1: And was going to take a couple of hundred more years before it was resolved.
0: Well, quite. So we are now officially members of the William Second fan club. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he is very interesting. He is. I think um, he'd make a good film, I think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but would
1: he have red hair or a red face? <laughs>
0: Yeah, has there been a film about William Rufus? There surely must have been. I don't, know. I don't. I can't recall one. But maybe, maybe I need to. My next book needs to be about William Rufus. <laughs> I've overlooked him. I'm very sorry. Yeah,
1: that'd be good. I did cover him in um, Defenders of the Norman Crown in the Warren book. I did cover a few bits of him. So um...
0: the trouble is, there are only a few bits of him to cover. <laughs> yeah. um...
1: Well, that's the trouble for a yes. historian. Yeah for so historical
0: fiction is perfect oh yes i could just make stuff up yeah. you know it's no problem at all i can go with the wildest rumors i can go with one or the other i don't i don't have to be consistent i can just weigh in with anything i like mm. although it goes against the grain to do so <laughs> anyway okay so overall we think that william rufus did a good job
1: yes Thanks very much for joining us, talking about William Rufus and was he or wasn't he? Basically everything. Was he good? Was he bad? Was he killed? Was he murdered? (laughs) Was it an accident? (laughs) Join us next week when we will be welcoming Angus Donald to the podcast to talk about his brilliant Fireborn series. I've got so many questions for Donald. So many questions for Angus. This is the problem when you have two first names. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, well, Vikings, berserkers—what can possibly go wrong?
1: And a, and a um, shield maiden.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to talking to him as well.
1: So I'm Sharon Bennett
0: Connolly, and I'm Derek Burks, and uh, we'll see you next time.
1: Bye bye. <laughs>